Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I really appreciate it, and so does Ben. But I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. But more importantly, we are very, very good friends. Isn't that right, Ben? Hashtag friends forever. (laughs) Forever? I didn't sign up for this. Sammy, I guess I did your body way. makes a promise whether you do or not. That's true. You can find Ben's work all over the internet. Ben, tell them. Give them the scoop. Sure. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Haggerty, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line. If there was a treasure map... Yes. Of I'm, the I'm so in- into this question. <laughs> if there Keep going. was a treasure map of the entire internet and every X marked somewhere you wrote for, there'd just be X's all over the place, right? There'd be triple X's, that's for sure. <laughs> Oh, no, Ben. Um, You can find my work on very few X's at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine. I'm in the September issue of Car and Driver, so pick that up, check it out, look at my name, and close the the magazine when you're done, I guess. Um, Is is there any truth to the rumor that you're the actual writer of George Strait's number one country hit, All My Exes Live in Texas? No, there's no truth in that in that rumor. Okay, of course just, not. I'm not that musical. Although I did, I did, I did add a little bit of a twang to our intro this week. That's true. I noticed it, and I'm hoping no one else did. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Am I that tone deaf? <laughs> I, I mean, it's you know, art is impossible to define. Well, very well said, Ben. I really appreciate the neutral tone you made with that with that comment. We usually talk about cars and not. Um, pirate maps or or <laughs> semi sketchy musical past, yes, or anything like that. But we can if you want to. No, I think we're good. I think it's time to move on to the automotive portion of the so-called automotive podcast, the unnamed automotive podcast. That's correct. Um, this is not the first time we're doing this podcast. I promise you, we've done it at least three hundred times. We're just a little wacky, I guess, today um, because I think we're taking next week off, so we got to get extra. We got to get extra wacky and. <laughs> Ironically, we're taking next week off because I'm actually visiting Sammy in Toronto and there's no way to schedule a recording because of how whirlwind the trip is. So um, there's a little window into uh, the difficulties of getting any kind of FaceTime with Sammy. You know, what's funny is Sammy and I have been doing this podcast a long time and I visited Toronto numerous times and we've hung out and uh, he's never once been to my home in Montreal. I've been to Montreal. I've just never seen him. Never been to the home and, and I'm about to move out of Montreal and he'll never see this house that he's been podcasting to for the last six or seven years. So that mental that mental portrait that you've painted is, mm-hmm. I guess, going to be accurate for you forever. It'll never be replaced by where I'm actually sitting right now. You've sent so many photos of where you podcast oh, from. I've sent and- you so many photos, but you have no idea of knowing whether that's actually my house or not. But I really, I mean, there, there's no other way to believe that you've, You've just co-opted somebody else's desk, put all sorts of, look, for lack of a better word, stuff all over the desk. <laughs> Maybe and, I'm just really good at me Photoshop. Your desk. There are so many things. And it's not even my favorite part about seeing the photos of your desk, man, is that there's no rhyme or reason. I usually think that there's, I'm going to see at least like a couple of like toy cars over here. Sometimes there's toy cars. Other times there's like plants. It changes every time I see you. It's just a mess of stuff. And How your is it unreasonable to own both plants and toy cars? I feel like all over your desk. Where am I supposed to put them? 
in, in plant planters and plant in, planters. In, <laughs> planters and car shelves, car display shelves. I have that tracks. as I have that as well. You know that, or you would if you ever visited my house. I do. I have a mental picture, and, and it's a beautiful mental picture, to be honest. I think the mental picture is prettier than the real thing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, don't you don't want to shatter that by walking across <laughs> the threshold to my office? Um, what are we talking about in terms of cars this week? So I wanted to kick things off with a vehicle that I was really looking forward to. And I think, didn't you go across the ocean to see a static display of this vehicle too, Sammy? Is that correct? Not not the static display. Well, you need to tell people what we're talking about before you ask me what we're going to be talking about. (laughs) So I drove the 2024 Mazda CX-90, which is a full-size SUV that's replacing the CX-9. The CX-9 is a pretty good truck. Like, and I say truck, it's not really a truck, but you know, it's, it's, it's a large three row crossover SUV. It had decent interior room, but it was pretty to look at. It handled well and it had a decent interior. Like it was right at the start. I would say the CX-9 is right at the start of where Mazda decided to do their stealth luxury thing where they were like, okay, maybe we're not Acura. Maybe we're not Lexus, but that doesn't mean we can't have interiors that are at that level. And they th- that kind of spread through the rest of the lineup to a lesser extent in the SUVs, but definitely the new Mazda 3 that came out a couple of years ago is much nicer inside than you would expect from a vehicle at its price point. So all of this to say, the CX-90 comes out and it's, it's moving to a rear-wheel drive architecture, although there's an asterisk I want to add to that that we'll talk about later. Uh, it's got an inline six-cylinder engine that has a turbocharger, which is kind of wow from Mazda. I don't think they've ever done that in North America. And it looks really good. So I was like, this is definitely something that I think could be the next step forward for the company. And Sammy, did you or did you not go across an ocean and look at some type of CX-90 related thing last year or earlier this year? I went across the ocean and I drove a Mazda CX-60, which is a European spec uh, vehicle only for Europe, um, which uses the same platform and powertrains as the CX-90. It's just shrunken down so it's not a three-row vehicle. So it's the same turbocharged six-cylinder? I didn't drive the Turbo 6. I drove a plug-in hybrid with a four-cylinder. Uh-huh. So that is also available with the 690. CX-90, yes. sorry. And from what I understand is that um, there is going to be a two-row version of this vehicle called the CX-70, which will be slightly bigger than that CX-60 I drove and smaller than the CX-90, of course. So there's all this like um, – this is a new platform, as you mentioned, a new powertrain. Yeah, Mazda calls um, it their large platform. That's what it's called straight up. Very, very good. Okay, that's quite the name for, for a platform, It I is think. the biggest and heaviest Mazda that has ever been built. It's like 4,400 pounds, I think. Something quite heavy. Okay. Um, I have so much, I have so much to talk about with this, this vehicle. Um, You you do. You mean you drove it as well? No, I didn't drive the 690, but I had so many expectations when Mazda is trying to, like you said, I think the CX-9 was the first vehicle that um, kicked off the brands, like uh, we're approaching luxury, um, mission statement and i actually think that the cx90 uh, the cx9 in particular achieved a lot of really good things it was i think it was very good looking um it was driver oriented which is rare for a family or a family sized vehicle yeah especially one that big and the interior also had a few extra pieces of flair if i remember correctly the signature version of the cx9 had this really fancy wood that they said was like the same wood that was used by Japanese 
music makers or something like okay. that when they were making like violins. So and you're telling me that Mazda was like, we're going to devastate the Japanese instrument industry by monopolizing <laughs> all the wood that would normally create violins, but now it's just going to go into these trucks. <laughs> and nothing is cool. <laughs> nothing is cooler than Monopoly, right? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 very accurate. Um, well, I I. I can tell you that that there's definitely wood inside this vehicle. I'll, I'll start with the inside because why not? Okay. So there's a lot about the interior of the CX-90 that kind of does build on what came before it with the CX-9 and what we already saw with the Mazda 3. There's this very light wood on the center console on the door panels. It, you would almost, it almost looks like marble, kind of like a light marble, but it's a smooth wood and it's matched with the model I had, which I believe was an S... Uh, Platinum or S Signature, S Premium, something like that. So the S denotes that you have the high-end turbo engine, and then there's a bunch of trim levels that build on top of that. I had the top trim level for the vehicle. Uh, it has Napa leather, looks really good. There's like um, there's like a nice kind of uh, dark-colored stripe that goes down the the seats that contrasts against the lighter color of the upholstery itself. And the layout inside the vehicle is quite nice. It's got, uh, mine had, uh, I believe it had uh, two seats in the back. You can get it in various configurations. There's like a three across in the back, I think. And then there's the captain's chairs in the middle. So like a seven seater and there's an eight seater version on the lower trims, which which has a bench in the middle, I believe. Um, The CS90 is, even though it's the biggest Mazda ever, it's not the biggest vehicle in its class. So... I think vehicles like the Explorer are like 15 to 20 more cubic feet when you're looking at cargo space. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because I packed a lot of moving boxes inside the CX-90. And one time I just folded the rear seats flat. The second time I did both rows, I had tons of room. Like there's okay. there's a very useful, I think it's something like 76 cubic feet of room, which now, is... My, personally, I'm looking at this vehicle and I think it's Mazda's approach. And we talked about this in the past approach to take on the Telluride and the Palisade. Yeah. And those are very spacious. Yeah. So I believe it's not quite as spacious as those vehicles. Uh, it's it's just a little bit less, but okay. that doesn't mean it's not practical. Uh, sometimes you see big cubic feet when you're looking at cargo space and it's if you packed it to the rafters, right? Like the, the CX-90 didn't give me that feel. It was enough with enough width and enough height that I could realistically use it without having to wedge everything in. So I appreciated that. It was also really easy to fold everything flat. It wasn't like, what was the vehicle I had last week that I was complaining about so much? Um, oh my goodness. It's completely slipped my mind. Uh, oh, go back with the Sequoia. Oh yeah. The Sequoia with the <laughs> three levels of difference. Yeah. And like the cargo cover and the extender, forget all of that jazz. Mazda doesn't play any weird games. It's very, very useful space. So I like that about it. There are things about the interior though, that made me feel like this vehicle was rushed onto the market. And these are kind of the first inklings of this suspicion that I have. Um, the, let's start with the infotainment system. So, you know, as as we've talked about in the past, Mazda does not like touchscreens. They've been adding them and removing them from their vehicles based on like various product redesigns for the last five to six years, right? They can't seem to find a happy medium. So in the CX-90, Sammy... The vehicle still has that center control knob on the console. Okay, great. That allows you to do all kind sorts of. of infotainment stuff. But when you're using... BMW-esque. BMW-esque. Except with BMW, you also get a touchscreen. Now, Mazda isn't quite that generous. They give you a touchscreen, but only under very specific circumstances. If you're oh, using... this again. Yeah. So if you're using Android Auto, you can use the touch features. But 
If you're moving, you can't. And even with Android Auto. Even with Android Auto. And if you're not using Android Auto, you can't use it at all, even if you're at a stop. So I searched everywhere I could to try and find a menu option that would let me change that and let me use it all the time or let me use it with the stock Mazda system. I couldn't figure it out. Apparently, some markets make it possible. So it's very po- – it's it's. I don't know if it was just Canadian market car doesn't have that feature. U.S. market car doesn't have that feature. Maybe it's only in Europe. Anyway – that's a little frustrating. I mean, it's not a it's not a, a deal breaker, but it's a little frustrating. What is a deal breaker for me is the fact that six or seven times out of 10 when I started the car, the infotainment screen would turn itself on. It would give me the warning, you know, pay attention to the road. It mm-hmm. would let me, sometimes it would ask me to choose the user profile for the vehicle and then it would go black. What? Straight up black. What do you mean? Black. So I, what I'm saying is nothing on the screen. Huh? And if I turn the volume control... It would show me the volume control on the screen, but nothing behind it. And then I would have to mash the buttons that were around the rotary controller. Like there's a hard button for the home screen. There's a hard button to go back. There's a hard button for navigation. And when you say mash, you press them very hard and frustratedly. Yes, because... Or just softly and just poked a I could never know which button would bring the screen (laughs) back to life. And what eventually it would come back and it would show me Android Auto. I would be in Android Auto. So... What is that all about, Sammy? <laughs> what is all that? That sounds like an Android Auto issue because I was talking to somebody else who experienced the same thing but didn't have the same issues with um, an Apple CarPlay um, uh, like connection. So I'm actually thinking it's – they said the same thing, like the exact same thing. Um, but they used, I think, a Samsung smartphone. What vehicle and was this? You now? don't – a 690, same okay. thing. So if that's the case, it's not an Android Auto problem because Android Auto works in every other vehicle. No, no, I know. I'm saying <laughs> it seems like it's a, it's an issue that only occurs with Android Auto on these vehicles. Yeah, so not great. And that's I not mean, great. That's no. absolutely uh, – we were saying in the past that like when you remove the uh, the option for these uh, like uh, Android Auto, Auto, Auto or Apple CarPlay, you kind of like take away something that people really like. And now they're just like phoning it in, like no pun intended, but they're just like this. It It's there, but it won't be a, the great experience that you're looking for. So these are the these are the early signs that that, that was one of the early signs that maybe things were a little bit rushed. The other there are a couple other things in the interior that didn't rub me the right way. The door lock buttons, whether it was automatically locking or whether someone was using the buttons on the inside to lock the car, occasionally it sounded like someone was cocking a rifle. Like it was just like super loud, like ka-chuk. Okay. Uh, and, you don't and, like that? Isn't that the whole appeal of a G-Wagon? <laughs> you don't like that. I love, I, I can just picture a Mazda salesman. You're in the showroom. <laughs> yeah. And they push the button and it goes, ka-chuk, and you, you're startled. And he looks at you and he's like, you don't like that? <laughs> yeah. Like I said, isn't one of the, uh, one of the appeals of the, of the Mercedes G wagon that it, it has these like this this noise, it it's not an appeal to me. Uh, okay, it's definitely not something I expect out of an expensive crossover, and it's not an experience I've had. I think in any other vehicle I've driven in the last yeah, few years. So, and then there's on the dashboard. I mentioned I liked a lot of the materials that were inside the cockpit and then the, the cabin, but on the dashboard there's this weird. It's like a fabric, almost a fabric mesh. And then it's split down the middle. And you know how, like, you often see elaborate stitching on leather? 
where it gives you like a triangle pattern that goes back and forth, back and forth, and it links the two sections together. So they have that, but it's fabric. So it's like a string. It's like a thread that goes through. And I'm looking at it, and it's the flimsiest looking thing you can imagine. (laughs) And I don't see it surviving someone leaning on it or pulling, or maybe it would just tear. It just, it's an odd detail that I think works with one material, but not another. Okay. And it, it really stood in contrast to the other aspects of the cabin. I actually had someone refer to it as the band-aid material okay. on the dash, which I think is maybe a bit of an, uh, you know, like those fabric band-aids you used to get, the ones that are supposed to be waterproof, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It had that kind of consistency. So that was strange, Sammy. So th- th- those are my complaints about the interior. Okay. I, I can feel with that. I mean, we, we you also mentioned the things you did like about the interior, which yes. is that it's very spacious. Yes. And some of the trim looks a little, uh, a little, at least interesting. No, it looks good. It looks good, but it, it balances out with other things. Infotainment system when you're not using Android Auto is it okay? Is I, it reasonable. I'm always using Android Auto because I'm not a fan of Mazda's infotainment system. So I that's a no. <laughs> find it complicated. I find there's a lot of submenus, and submenus are difficult to explore when you're using a dial. Mm-hmm. Um, I know BMW also has a dial, but they they break up their submenus onto different sides of the screen sometimes. Mm-hmm. So like it'll be on like the far right or the far left. Um, not so much the case with Mazda. Anyway, I didn't use it very much, uh, which is fine. I don't really want to criticize it. Just not for me, I guess. Um, but moving on to the other, you know, really kind of wow new things about the CX-90. I mentioned earlier that it had a rear-wheel drive platform, right? Mm-hmm. That's Obviously, of, you don't get a rear-wheel drive version of the no, CX-90. No, it's a bit of a misnomer. All of, <laughs> yeah. the, all of the CX-90s are all-wheel drive. But the engine that's under the hood, it's it sets north-south instead of east-west. Uh, And that means that most of the power when normal driving is sent to the rear wheels. It's a rear biased all wheel drive system. And that changes the dynamics of the vehicle. Now you have to go back to the nineties to find another Mazda truck that had a North South longitudinally installed engine. And that was the Mazda Navajo, Sammy. You remember (laughs) the Navajo? No, what? It was a rebadged Explorer. (laughs) Uh, So Mazda didn't even build that. That's the last time they had a rear wheel drive truck. Or anything like interesting, it in um, and I'll I keep just, thinking I didn't realize they also had a rebadged a rebadged Explorer. I know they had a rebadged Escape, known yeah. as the Tribute. Yes, yeah. What a name! And they had uh, the obviously the pickup truck, right? Oh, the B two two twenty two hundred. Yeah, so that went on a long time too. I didn't count that as a uh, as as an actual truck truck like, or rear wheel drive. A, it's a pickup truck, right? Uh, the, the, that, that was built in, in, in partnership with Ford as well. Um, it was the Ranger. I don't remember who was responsible for what there. Um, but in any case, it's, it's a long time. Obviously Mazda knows what they're doing with rear wheel drive because they've been building Miatas. They built RX-7s, they built RX-8s. Like, but in terms of putting it under a crossover, this is kind of a big deal because it allows them to position themselves against, I guess, more upscale brands like Genesis, BMW, Mercedes, that do the same kind of thing. Uh, dynamically, a rear-wheel drive bias platform should be better to drive, and okay. just because of how physics works. Sure. And uh, it also, I think, allowed them to put an inline six under the hood because if you were going to put a <laughs> a horizontally mounted inline six, you would probably not have the space to do that, right? I guess so. I mean, it's the longest engine format there is. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> if you were to turn it sideways. I mean, <laughs> it's not going to work unless it's no. like a rear engine. And no. then, uh, anyway, so we get this 3.3 liter uh, straight six. Mm-hmm. 
It makes, depending on which version you get, 280 horsepower on regular gas or 340 horsepower on premium gas. And to get that 340 Hold horsepower... Hold on, wait, talk to me for a minute. Please yeah. talk. In the past, from my, my understanding with these, with these different ratings, were it was the same engine. Um, and they used to say for the CX-9, that Turbo 2.5 that you could get, um, or that you, it only came in the Turbo 2.5, the, if, you had it, if you ran it with a regular, it would give you like 220 horsepower. Yeah, and if you so ran not it with anymore. Premium, it, ran, it gave you 250. So now you can either run the lower tune model with regular or the higher tune model with premium, yes. and switching between the gas types between the two don't uh, provide any benefit. Like I would before. say that if you ran regular gas in the premium and the high-end model, you would have less power, but you're not. I don't think the high the high test fuel map is there for the lower. Okay. Model. You have to pay Thank more you. for that. Thank so, you for, for clearing that up. And if you look at the trim levels, anytime you see an S that's attached to it, that indicates that it has that 340 horsepower motor. Okay. Uh, it's got 369 pound feet of torque and it's got a 48 volt mild hybrid system. So there's like a small electric motor that gives you another 110 pound feet of torque in the mix at very low speeds, kind of off the line to kind of disguise any but, type of turbo like you might experience. But total torque at three, 369 you said yes is it doesn't seem like that big of an up jump from like the old one that made 310 i think it also right? doesn't feel like that much power from a 3.3 liter six cylinder engine does it are we being picky are we being no i don't think so because if you look at like i believe what's what's the size of the genesis uh G, the gv80 gv80 is that also is, a 3.3 liter it's a 3.5 and a 2.5 a 3.5 i believe and that's a twin turbo v6 and i think it's over yeah. 400 Yes. So, well, I and don't doesn't Ford have turbo sixes, or is that done now? So Ford, the Explorer, I believe, makes three hundred horsepower. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a version of the Explorer that makes three hundred horsepower, and it is faster <laughs> in a straight line than the CX ninety. Uh, yeah. And if you look at the Telluride and the Palisade, which are not turbocharged, but the, they have V six models, right? And yeah. they're down on power by like fifty horses. Mm-hmm. They're neck and neck with the CX-90. I think it's like 0.1 or 0.2 seconds. I think we're in the five and a half, five point six 5.6 second range with this vehicle. So there's two explanations for this. The first is this is a very heavy truck, as I mentioned yeah. earlier. Okay. Yeah. The second is it has a wet clutch automatic transmission, so it doesn't have a torque converter. So I guess mm-hmm. you can't torque load it off the line if you want to get really crazy acceleration. And that's hurting it in a straight line. But I want to point out that in regular driving, like it drives really well. It feels fine mm-hmm. power wise. Like I'm not driving it thinking this is weak. I But I'm also not thinking it's wow. You know, like it's it's as expected, I guess. And it's just a little disappointing because, you know, like you're saying, I kind of want more power from that engine. Like, why not? Why not give me 400 horsepower and really blow me away? But like inline sixes are supposed to be smoother um, than a V6, I suppose. Yeah. And is I, it? No, Does it's not. Does that make a difference? It's, it's not. It's not. Okay. <laughs> this is where the other thing about the truck that felt rushed came comes comes to mind. Throttle tip-in is really, really tippy. Not tippy, twitchy. Uh, <laughs> it's very hard to drive it smooth. Um, okay. Pulling away from a, at a low speed, it's like really easy to jerk the car around. Occasionally, very occasionally, the transmission also felt like it was making an awkward shift, and the start-stop system is not smooth. So Ooh. those three things together really worked against the idea of the smoother i6, at least for me. I it, it comes across as an average vehicle when I was kind of expecting a wow vehicle. It certainly yeah. doesn't feel that much better than a Palisade or a Telluride. I haven't driven an Explorer 
in a really long time. So, it doesn't sound significantly better than the CX-9. I mean, it's again, a long time since I've driven a CX-9. I will tell you, I, I will get to one area where I know it's not as good as the CX-9 in a, in a moment. I just wanted to finish up this drivetrain part. There is something that the CX-9 does way better than most of its rivals, and that's fuel mileage. It okay, gets, it gets that's fair. It gets like 29 or 30 miles per gallon on the highway. Wow, okay. With all that power and mm-hmm. 25 combined. That's like 25% better than most other trucks of its size. That's fair. Okay, that's a pretty good uh, compromise, I think. So, yeah, um, I mean, kudos to Mazda for doing that, because it's not easy to do, especially since it's so heavy. Yeah, absolutely. That transmission thing, and you told me it's a mild hybrid system. It's really bizarre that, you know, mild hybrids, I think, are in my experience, some, some of the mild hybrids can really help smooth out the transitions, especially from, like, jerky, tra- jerky transmissions. Um, or the start-stop features. It's really disheartening to feel that they they haven't ironed out that 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 transition between the mild hybrid system and the gas system. Yeah, and and I like to think that a lot of these problems could be fixed with a software patch. Yeah, it does sound. You mentioned rushed. It sounds rushed. Like it really sounds like they're trying to get this out the door. It had been. It feels like it's been a while since we've gotten um, new vehicles from from Mazda to get really excited about. Um, and I guess the CX-90 was supposed to be that, a flagship vehicle for them yeah. in some way. Yeah. I mean, this so is I think clearly, they really wanted to punch that out. This is clearly aimed at being a flagship. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the area that I mentioned, you know, you're, you're talking about the CX-9. Where it really falls, the CX-90 doesn't match its predecessor is handling. All that weight okay. comes into play. It If you look at like skid pad stuff, I, I don't know who's looking at skid pad stuff for large SUVs, <laughs> but... It's not great. It's like very middle of the road. When you're driving it, it also gives you that impression. Like it, the handling is fine, but it's not engaging. It's not exciting. There's nothing about it that suggests it's a driver's vehicle. And the CX-9 actually had that. So I was disappointed with that as well. I know that Mazda is known for building interesting to drive vehicles, regardless of whether it's a sports car or not. So that, excuse me, that was a surprising part of this. I, I I guess I had expectations, Sammy, coming into this, you know? I mean, it's not fair for us always to have expectations, but it's also not fair for the automaker to put those, to voice those expectations all the time. I mean, we get fed marketing material, and not only that, but the price points of some of these vehicles suggest that they're supposed to be a little bit better than the outgoing oh, product. Yeah. That's what that's something we really need to talk about, and really the last thing we need to talk about the vehicle. I mean, I've already said I think it looks great on the outside. I don't really want yeah. well on that. But... um. This is a $61,000 vehicle. The S Premium Plus trim I drove is $61,000. Now, the the base CX-90 is like $40,000. Maybe that makes more sense. But But what does the interior feel like? Does it look cheap? You know what I mean? I haven't been in it. It obviously doesn't have the Napa leather. It's not going to have some of the same trim, and it's going to be missing some features. But where that becomes problematic for Mazda is the most expensive Telluride or Palisade is like $55,000, $56,000. You know, and I, I think if you look at like pilots and Highlanders and stuff, the gap might be even bigger. I think mm-hmm. that the Explorer gets close to it, but I think that's like a either a Timberline or like an ST or something with like the high performance stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at sixty one thousand, they're pushing up against. You know, you can get a GV eighty from Genesis for that with the smaller motor, the four yeah. cylinder, but you still get a very very nicely done truck. The CX ninety. With fewer of those, like, uh, 
bugs. I don't want to call them like I don't want to call them bugs, but like those those little issues that you were mentioning. You know, it's been smoothed out the whole car. You, in order for this vehicle to justify that pricing, I really think I I needed more performance from it. I really performance or refinement. I, I needed yeah either of those things. Something to make it feel special because it looks special. And is there attention price, to detail in the cabin? Like, I mean, yes and no, but not enough to justify the pricing. You need more than that. Uh, I think that the, the, the it looks special inside and out, but the experience is not special. The experience is merely fine. And if it's fine, then you're not going to sell many at sixty one thousand. I mean, their the, their fifty five thousand dollar version, you know, that goes up against the Telluride and the Palisade. Yeah, it's there. You can get that trim level, but you're leaving something on the table. Whereas mm-hmm. if you went to Kia, you're getting everything. You know, like that's everything right. they possibly had. So that's not a great place for Mazda to be in. Um, I really think they should have waited. For I what? Really to get this thing fully baked? Get it right. Get it right for the first time. Uh, I don't know if there's a way for them to make improvements now that that will justify that pricing. Or if we're going to see a pricing revision. I don't know what their sales are going to be like initially. Because usually the first year a vehicle comes out is when it has its strongest sales. Because people have been waiting for it. Or people are intrigued by it. You know? Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But... Honestly, I'm really lukewarm on this vehicle, and I expected to love it. I mean, it, it did everything I needed it to do, but I, I at the price it's at, and with my expectations being so high, I came away feeling crestfallen. Well, I mean, I don't think I think we should put it in perspective in, in a little bit of perspective. It got more spacious. It got more powerful. I don't think it got more spacious. I'm not sure if it how much. I don't know how much bigger it was than the CX-9. It's not well, the CX-9 was not a super spacious car. It's a bigger vehicle on the outside for sure. I just don't know if that translates inside. Okay, it got more powerful. It got a bigger screen. All right, when I mean bigger black screen to look at, I guess. <laughs> yes, uh, and it and it maintained a premium cabin. Yeah. So you're um, treading water, lost, except it, for drivetrain. It lost. Um, the driving feel that the CX-9 had. But it has pretty good fuel economy for the class. Very good fuel economy. So I think there are, there's like, it's uh, an ebb and flow in the in terms of the description. $61,000. Yeah, and it got way more expensive. So I think what we're t- what we're trying to say is they've hit a couple of notes, but they've also dropped a few, right? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I would put it, I, I, I don't know, man. I just... Well, well in there's comparison- so many good vehicles it's up against. Like, is this better yeah. than like an Atlas or an Ascent? Yeah, sure. The, but but those vehicles. <laughs> Anything. Sorry. Yeah, no. that was that was mean of you. Jeez. No, it's Why'd not. Why you pick the the lowest bar for this class? But what I'm saying is the. <laughs> is it better than a Dodge Journey? Sure. <laughs> but the Ascent <laughs> and the Atlas know their role. Like they're not yeah. charging a huge amount of money. They're that's aimed right. at people who want something that's useful, affordable, and practical all at once. You know, like. The CX-90 is trying to be more than that, and it's not achieving that. So I feel that's like right. that's, the, that's the yardstick we have to use. I think when you see the Telluride and the Palisade, you say that's pretty good about all those notes I just gave. And there's not a, a major element where it drops off. Except for, for me, I think, I think the powertrain is a little is a little wimpy, but that's it. When you a little talk wimpy, about, but still, still like neck and neck with the CX-90. When you talk about a product that goes up and down like this, it makes you feel like overall it's the less successful car right yeah and you want a more like cohesive product in the long run especially for 60 grand i want want a reason to spend that much money yeah exactly i i i I get it i get it cool that's quite the that's quite a thorough review um i appreciate your your just going into everything with that 
Is there anything else you want to talk about with the CX-90? No, I wanted to move on to another, uh, uh, I guess, acronym salad vehicle that was debuted this week, Sammy. Um, can you remind oh, yeah. me what it's called? It's called the 2024 Acura ZDX. I actually think it's 2025. I think we have to wait a little oh, okay. bit longer. Uh, those, those of you who are not familiar with the ZDX shenanigans in Acura's past, it was the second sport utility coupe in like the late two, late 2000s, early 2010s. It was like a super unusual looking fake two-door with a really sloping roof line and like hidden door handles. And yeah. it was really heavy and it had modest power and nobody bought it. Like no one was interested because I think what happened was the BMW X6 had come out the year before and everyone who wanted this specific type of vehicle <laughs> had already bought the X6. And then Acura was like, wait, us too. And people just kind of kept walking. Yeah, uh, but now it's back and it looks nothing like that, Sammy. It's like what a uh, GM product now. Well, first of all, it has a um, it it uses the GM Ultium platform, which okay. is which was like their killer app, which is like GM's thing, right? Like that's like giving away your secret sauce. But they developed it, I believe, or licensed it out to Honda quite a long time ago. Yes. Okay. Um. So and it's going to be coming in a Honda product called the Prologue, I think. Oh man. That sounds like a Gran Turismo vehicle. I think it's called the maybe Honda Pro. It is Prologue. Is okay, it Pro great. Space Log. No, it's for one word Prologue with okay. a U and an E at the end. Well, prologue. I mean, there's there's the lyric which doesn't have the you know this. You can't. What I'm saying is you can't count on vowels. That's true. Um, so we need to talk about this ZDX because it looks. Not only does it use a GM platform, it seemingly uses GM powertrain as well, and Seems almost identical in terms of specifications to the Lyric. And the Blazer, it's the same, the Blazer underneath. Uh, it's go- But unlike the Blazer, according to friend of the show, John Volker, it's going to have Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. So oh, thank goodness. Remember GM was like, no more Android Auto for our battery-powered vehicles. And the world was like, wait, what? And then, and then Acura was like, psych, we're going to keep doing it. <laughs> we'll do it, yes. But one of the most interesting things when talking about the ZDX is, one, the exterior design is not as funky as the old ZDX. No, it's not I think funky at all. It's very... was the calling card of the ZDX. It was like this weird... I mean, for better or worse, it was a calling card, right? Like Totally. It was like quirky, right? Like, why sure. would you get a car like this? Quirky is like a word you use in a dating profile for a friend when you're trying not to embarrass them. I don't think it was a bad design. I think it, I th- I actually think it's a more effective design than the X6. I just don't think people liked it because it was also, very, it was boring to drive. It was, it was compromised heavy. as well. Yeah. For sure. I think you ran a pilot platform. When you think about a pilot being a three row SUV, riding the, the platform in a smaller, weirder shaped vehicle. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I think it was also the first Acura with the giant beak. I oh, could yeah. be wrong so, about yeah, that. I think you're right about that. But that made it a bit of a lightning beat. rod. So they, <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, what do you think about the idea that Acura was like, here, <laughs> I, they gave they gave all of the, they gave one car to the, to the guy with all the weird ideas. It was like a sacrificial <laughs> lamb. They're like, try all your weird stuff. Let's see what happens. And then they're and like, it failed well, miserably. It failed, but they're like, well, we're going to keep doing it forever anyway. <laughs> So I'm I'm impressed by the fact that it's not a totally bizarre looking vehicle. It looks pretty cool. Oh, well, not cool. It looks it looks normal. Like it looks like a normal SUV. It's a, it's a vehicle you could picture picture someone buying and driving. <laughs> Let's put it that way. 
<laughs> which is more than you can say about uh, the old one. Yeah. And the cabin looks fairly um, mundane as well. It looks like, you know, they didn't take any risks with <laughs> really well, breaking I'm, out what, the praise here. <laughs> what a, I, I'm just surprised. That's all I'm saying is that I'm super surprised because other actors we've driven um, and, and the ZDX nameplate, the history of the ZDX, is weird. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, really weird. This is like if Chevrolet made an electric vehicle, called it the Aztec, and yet it looks totally normal. And, and has like, no Wait a weird minute. thing about it. Right? Yeah, there's a fundamental like, reality disconnect going on there where you're expecting it to have like a pop-out tent or something strange. And they're like, no, just, just get in and drive it and no one will make fun of you. <laughs> Well, it's like Nissan making a car called the Cube, but it's really like a sedan, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, the Cube, yeah. Cube Sport or something yeah, like that. Exactly. So, I mean, it's all this is to say that they've made a normal-looking EV. Acura has been missing an EV for a very long time. Um, it's coming out. It's got a price tag of, I think, $60,000 uh, for the base model and then $70,000 for a top trim type S. There is a price dif- there is a performance difference between the two. The entry level model has um, a th- uh, 340 horsepower model, m- uh, motor and there's an all-wheel drive version which also has 340 horsepower which oh no, 500 horsepower, sorry. Wow, that's, 500 that's horsepower. a huge difference. 340 horsepower or 500 horsepower. So that's the same power and price as the CX90 by the way in that base model. <laughs> Except it's much smaller. And then um, the normal model with the 340 horsepower, when you can get it for three, you can get 325 miles on a battery charge or good. 315. That's really good. Um, which is crazy that it only drops 10 miles once you get all wheel drive. Like it has 13 inch wheels, it makes up for a lot. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the uh, the Type S, this 500 this 500 horsepower model has uh, 288 horsepower, which again isn't a super drop off. But I don't know. That's not. It's not. This seemingly 288 miles. Co- you mean 280 miles? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, big wheels are out, Sammy. It's all about tiny wheels now. And can charge up to 190 kilowatts, which is fairly quick. Yeah, that's not decent. 350. No. Like, like what we're apparently we've been conditioned for. to think that's the cutting edge. Yes. No uh, word on what charger, what plug it'll use. <laughs> I mean, it'll probably use all of them. <laughs> uh, so just to wrap things up this week, we have a, 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 a listener, Justin wrote in, we've been talking about features that um, frustrate us day to day in a vehicle, even if it's small things that add up. And he, they wrote in with like, three different things all related to one thing in their Subaru called eyesight. Uh, they have a forester with eyesight. If you don't know what eyesight is, uh, you might've listened to past episodes of the show where Sammy um, formed a weird psychosocial relationship with the Android robots that live inside the eyesight system and control your every move inside a Subaru. Now they watch your eyes. They watch the road. That's have, driver focus. They have, they have a pair of stereoscopic cameras mounted to the top of the windshield and that's been Subaru's solution to not having radar or lasers or anything like that or sonar or whatever. That's that's how they're doing it. It's a visual-based system. So Justin has had three things that are irritating about the car. Two of them are, I mean, at least one of them is terrifying to me. Um, the first is the, there's an electric steering feature that takes over when there's like an obstacle and uh or when you when you're when you're trying sorry the first one is there's an electric steering feature that's trying to keep you in your lane so he he says that when he's swerving to avoid a hole oh excuse me i don't know where that came from yeah sorry that's the first on-air sneeze in in unnamed automotive podcast history 
We don't even have a sneeze button. No, we need that. Uh, there's not even a sneeze shield, too. My whole desk, all my cars, it's just terrible. Uh, and your plants. You got my, you wanted your plants. My plants are reaching towards me. They're like, yes, finally, sustenance. Uh, when they are um, trying to swerve to avoid like a pothole or a dead kangaroo in the road, um, because Justin is in Australia, and honestly, that's, I think, the first time anyone has written into us about a kangaroo, <laughs> so that's another first for Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, it, it thinks that they're not paying attention and it just slams the steering like back towards the obstacle, which is huh. the exact opposite thing you want to happen from a safety system, right? Very uh, true. Yeah. And he, he says that the system is always on when you start the car. If you disable it and restart the car, it's on again. So you can forget and you're just driving normally and then you see roadkill and you can't get out of the way. So Brutal. I've had that happen okay. a couple of times, like systems that are a little bit too aggressive, Sammy, with lane keeping. Has that ever happened to you? Um, super aggressive lane keeping products that I've had. Yes, it definitely has. I'm trying to remember which ones lately have been like that. I think it was the, um, a Volvo that I drove recently was really aggressive as to centering you, even when you're trying to avoid like, uh, an 18 wheeler kind of encroaching in your lane. Yeah. It's yeah, just yeah. like, no, get, get back over. It there. nudges you towards the center line on a two. Yeah. I've had that happen and that's frustrating and scary. Um, it's like, I notice it a lot when I have cruise control on and, I'm trying to pass a truck on the highway and it's getting me closer and closer to the truck. And then, you know, you usually just apply a little bit of pressure on the left side of the wheel to kind of move over and it fights <laughs> you on it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden you have to, you have to you know, use all of your strength to like move one or two inches away from the obstacle that's trying to kill you on the right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. So the other thing, the, but the, the point that Justin makes is um, since it restarts every time you can forget that it's on, there are a lot of vehicles out there that don't restart every time. If you turn a system off, it stays off. I really feel like that should be, the default for safety systems yeah uh Uh, i think that but i mean i think that about a lot of features i get really annoyed that when you um when you turn on eco mode for example and a lot of a lot of green cars actually have this like persistent drive modes if you if you start the car again it'll stay in eco mode i'm driving an ionic 6 that says that does that and i really appreciate that because you get a little bit more range in eco mode for example but other features like the safety features that'd be very handy to have um, them maintain after the the power cycle as well. So the other issues that Justin had is that if they're trying to pass a vehicle with cruise control on and the vehicle to their right, like say they're on the highway, the vehicle on their right is in a corner, the eyesight cameras pick up the rear of the vehicle as it's turning and thinks it's right in front of them and it won't pass the vehicle. It'll Ooh. maintain distance. So okay. they have to override it with the accelerator. Hmm. Um, but the worst thing that has happened with, eyesight and and he stresses that he likes the forester he likes the vehicle a lot but these are really irritating um instances is that he had a panic stop on the middle of the highway when there was like a dark colored center of uh, a dark colored section of asphalt up ahead and he thinks the car must have thought it was a hole or something or an obstacle because it did a full emergency stop at 100 kilometers an hour which for our american friends is 60 62 miles an hour like high highway speeds um and when he hit the accelerator to try to override the automatic stop, it didn't work. So the vehicle just decided it was time to stop. It's was, time to stop. There was yeah. no one behind him. There was no accident. But that is terrifying. I have had that happen when they released the previous generation Range Rover Sport, I believe it was. We were in the desert somewhere in Arizona. And we were on a like one of those wide open roads without any obstacles. And I was pulling out to pass. And um, I was in the left lane. And there was an 18-wheeler up ahead in the right lane and it made a turn to the left and 
since the forward-looking radar saw this object turning to the left in front of me, it didn't realize that it was in its own lane, and it did a full emergency stop at 80 miles an hour. And, like, I had vehicles behind me, and I don't know how I didn't get hit because I had to, like, get on the gas right away. Fortunately, I was able to override it once I realized what was happening. But it was really scary because you're not thinking anything. Like, you're not in the mind of that safety system. You're in the mind of your own um, cognitive abilities where you realize that the vehicle up ahead is in its own lane and the safety system doesn't know that and it's like a cognitive dissonance that puts you in danger that's brutal I, I haven't had actually there's been one um, alternative actually I believe I had a vehicle with adaptive cruise control that didn't engage um, braking and I th- blamed it on a rear mounted bike rack that was on the vehicle ahead of me and I had to take over Instead, and it really just caught me off guard by I've had by a, not you. I, you have confidence in the system, and suddenly you don't. Right? I find I've had a lot of low speed problems with adaptive cruise, where I'm crawling in traffic and a vehicle like turns into my lane in front of me, and you never oh, they hate that. You never know when adaptive cruise is going to pick up that vehicle, and sometimes or just surge ahead. <laughs> yeah, just surge ahead because it sees the gap, and it's like, oh, we can't have this, and then <laughs> you know, it becomes even more dangerous. Thank you, Justin, for for writing in with the with um with those details about your experience with eyesight. I know that eyesight is because of the cameras. There's been other issues with uh, blindness from the sun and glare. Yeah. When you drive into the sun, which we all don't do, right? We all, <laughs> we all, we're always have the sun behind us, right? That's like, what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's got its own little, um, I don't want to, what's the word for it? Hiccups. Yeah. Little hiccups that are associated with it. We love hearing these stories, by the way, we've been getting some good have feedback. Yet? from people uh, about the weird stuff their cars do that drives them crazy. If Mm -hmm. you want to tell us your tales of woe or irritation, uh, the easiest way to do that is to head to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There is a comments section or sorry, comments form, a a contact form. You you write in your comment, you click submit and it goes right to our inbox or you can email me the old fashioned way, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com or you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at benjaminhunting.com. No, sorry, that's not my name on on Instagram. I'm at hunting. <laughs> Sammy is at Sammy underscore hot. Like you're. Are you gonna write Benjamin underscore hot? Like you're laughing? No, 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 don't do that. Okay, I don't know don't where do that, that takes you. You can reach us there. He's on Instagram and Twitter, uh, but he's kind of a ghost on Twitter these days, so uh, he's harder to find there. Um, I'm researching at least on Instagram. All right, so uh, Sammy, if people wanted to find the podcast, where can they do that? They go to the website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, or they could just check out their podcast. Client, I believe the cool term for this is podcatcher. Very cool. Which, which I can't quite visualize. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that would be like if it was a physical product. But anyways, if they go to their podcast, pardon? Yeah, I know. Uh, if they go to their podcatcher and search for us, unnamed automotive podcast, they'll definitely find us. I'm sure definitely. of it. We're probably the only unnamed podcast. <laughs> I doubt that, that. But okay. Over time. Um, um, yeah, and uh, Sammy, uh, what are we going to be talking about next week? Next week, uh, I gave a little teaser. I talked about it very briefly. I'm going to be talking about the Ionic 6. This is a car that you drove, but yes. now I get to drive it and Excellent. tell you what I think about it. Um, because there's a lot to say about this EV sedan. And I'm going to be talking about... And it, actually, sorry, I want to correct ourselves. It's not next week. It's going to be the week after. Oh, right. So I mentioned that. I'm going to have a couple of vehicles to choose from. Um, we might be hearing about the new Range Rover, the long wheelbase, which I'm currently driving. Or we might be hearing about the Grand Cherokee 4xe, which I will be driving shortly thereafter. Um, Whichever one is more interesting is the one that is going to make it onto the show. Excellent. I can't wait. And I'll see you next week, man. But 
we'll have to tell every we'll have to provide a sort of update <laughs> as to what's going us. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.